I came across an article on Investopedia, and the title of the article is Why No One Wants to Work Anymore. Pandemic Market Boom Lets Millions Retire. Let's kind of talk about this article, shall we? There have been many, many conversations that I have been engaged in, particularly with HR directors in the day job, about the great resignation. And collectively, we have wondered, what are, what are people going, what are people doing? What, we don't get it. I mean, are people just completely dropping out of society, not working at all? And as a result, there have been a whole lot of things written, a whole lot of speculation. I, somebody smarter than me probably knows the answer. I don't. But articles like this one, they really get my attention. This was published on June the 29th, 2023. Why no one wants to work anymore. Pandemic market boom lets millions retire. The author is, this is an odd first name, Dicon, D-I-C-C-O-N, Hyatt. I we're talking about, I think, this is Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here, coming to you from Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Inside the Yellow Studio 3.1, I might add. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Modern tales of an ancient pursuit, and it doesn't get any more modern than these kinds of articles. Because it's, it's a puzzling, puzzling, puzzling thing. Uh, now, the article puts forth nobody wants to work anymore kind of a thing, but not completely true, maybe generally speaking true. There are a lot of folks who have left the market. I've been reading that in next year, in 2024, will be the largest wave of Americans who will turn 65 in a single year. Uh, does that have something to do with it? Could. This article at the beginning has three bullet points that are takeaways. The labor market is still feeling the effects of a wave of pandemic-era retirements. 2.4 million more people are retired than the pre-pandemic trend would predict. Anecdotally, I know that that's true. There are a number of people that I know and a number of organizations that I know firsthand that experienced a rash, it seemed, of retirements that happened in or about the pandemic era. The second bullet point is the 2020-2021 boom in stocks and home prices supercharged the net worth of many older workers, enabling them to stop working. 
Um, I can tell you here in Texas, home prices, and frankly, most everywhere else, home prices absolutely got supercharged. The third bullet point is some people unretired after stocks fell in 2022, but not enough to reverse the trend. As I hit the record button, there are many, many people who are being summoned back into organizations who retired and they are not necessarily looking for it. It's happening because the organizations have got just an enormous gap. They can't find people, much less good people. And they're going to these people that may have been out of the game, as we say, for a year, two, three. And they are dragging them back in. And these people are willing to do it because, in some cases, they need or want the money. In some cases, they need or want to be more engaged. And maybe they miss the work. Most do not want to commit to some long-term thing. Many of them don't want to necessarily commit to a full-time schedule, but some do. I was talking with somebody just the other day, and they'd made an offer to somebody who'd kind of been out of the game for a little over a year, and they were bringing them in at a significant salary and a significant position. The person said, I- I'm... I'm happy to come back and help you, but I only want to do this for two years. And so by the time I get into month 18, you better have my replacement in place so that I will have six months then to spend with that person, uh, give or take. And it's like, okay. And both parties are pretty happy about it. The article says the pandemic created 2.4 million, what, what they call excess retirees. And they cite a paper done by an economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis who reports that there was just this surge during the pandemic and it hasn't gotten back to normal. And they say as of April this year, April 2023, 2.4 million more retired workers than were expected before the pandemic just kind of shuffled everything up. And there's no question that's a big number. 2.4 million retirees that, okay, if this economist, if he is representative of many economists, okay, we didn't see that coming. And the interesting thing to me is for years and years and years, I have been reading about the coming gray wave, the coming wave of people who are going to reach retirement age. And there's no question, you you couldn't have predicted the pandemic. And I can understand how that could have accelerated things. And you couple with that people now who owned their home mortgage-free And now with the elevated real estate market, they're like, okay, this is now's the time. You are listening to the voice of a person who did that very thing. We sold a home that we had lived in for 25 years. And I, I was just months shy of turning 66 
when we did that. Now, we were planning to do it. It didn't have anything really to do with retirement per se because I've, I've no designs on retiring in the traditional sense of not going to work, not going to earn any income. That's what I mean by retiring. But I absolutely mean retiring if it means the two big milestones that you hit when you turn 65 and older, 65 Medicare and full retirement age, at least for me, 66 and a half, 66 and six months. So you've got these two big, big events that happen when you get to be my age, Medicare and social security. Okay. Well, people can crunch numbers and say, yeah, but that's, that's not enough. Well, we're not talking about it being enough. We're just talking about hitting these. It may be enough. It may not be enough. I mean, that depends on the individual, but we are talking about these milestones that happen simply based on age. Your full retirement age for social security here in America is what it is. For some people it's 66 and eight months. It's 66 and nine months. Mine happens to be, and it's all based on when you were born. Mine is 66 years and six months. And then that's full retirement age. So here's this number, and that's the number that you're going to get in Social Security. Based on all those years that you paid into the system, there's your number. And at full retirement, that's your number. You can start collecting it at 62, and it's a lower number. Now, many people will argue, and, and I, I'm not going to dispute it. Man, collect it as soon as you can and then just get a side hustle, get, get something else to make up the difference because you're going to have to live a long time to make up the months, the few years that you weren't collecting anything. And that, that's probably true. And if you need it, I would probably concur. If you need it, take it. Uh, we didn't, so we didn't take it at 62. The value at full retirement age, FRA, the Social Security system calls it, full retirement age. At full retirement age, you get the maximum amount. Okay, there's a footnote because it really isn't the maximum amount. That you achieve at the age of 70, at least currently. Now, there's talk about moving the full retirement age up to 70. Uh, but as it stands right now, as I hit the record button, at 70, you completely max out. So whatever the gap is between full retirement age and 70 annually, it will go up 8%. And then it maxes out at 70 and so you can say, I'm not going to collect it. I'm going to wait until it maxes out. Okay, then you're waiting until the age 70. And some people do that because why not? If they don't need it, if it doesn't matter to them. So those are choices that you can make. So all that to say this, between the age of 62 and the age of 70, you have these decisions to make. Am I going to collect it at 62? At the low end of the number, am I going to collect it 
at a little higher end of the number, maybe a, a much higher end of the number at full retirement age, whatever that is, or am I going to wait until I completely max it out at the age of 70? But these are not decisions that you're making until you can get in that time frame. And an awful lot of people are getting into that time frame because we are, we are the baby boomers. Now the article goes on to like most news articles do, you know, they, they find somebody and they cite somebody and they get some quotes from somebody and that may be helpful. It may not be helpful. Everybody's in a, in a different kind of a situation. But I think the elephant in the room here is twofold and probably in this order and it's COVID. So it's the pandemic. And then it is also that real estate, especially the real estate and, and they cite the stock market too. I don't disagree. You know, that kind of a boom that we saw happen, all that pent up demand and stuff coming out of the pandemic and just all this insane inflation. And I don't think there's much doubt that those two factors have, have, a, have an enormous impact. Now, this article is, isn't going to speak to it, but the, the big question mark over many of our heads are not these folks that are older, aging Americans, but these younger, these younger people, these people in their 30s and 40s are like, I'm out. Now, there's little doubt many of them, they're out from traditional work. They're out from living in a place that they may not necessarily want to live in and having to commute to the office. And all of a sudden work has become more remote in that they're able to do it digitally over the internet, which means they can be anywhere. As long as they got a good internet connection, they're good to go. And so we have seen a number of, I mean, there's, I've read stats on it. I don't have it right in front of me, but a number of people in that age bracket who have made in, in lower, younger or older people all across all walks of life who have decided, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I don't want to live here. I don't want to pay these exorbitant rent rates or mortgage rates. I'm going to cash out or sell out and I'm moving to the country or I'm moving to this small town. And then you've got small towns across America who've been offering bounties for people, especially younger people willing to come and live in their community. And, you know, we'll give you 2,500 bucks. We'll give you, you know, some, some kind of a stipend if you will move here, uh, attempting to lure these younger workers. Now evidence would seem that younger workers, those aged 25 to 54, they're, they're coming back. They're coming back. Have they all come back? I, I don't know the answer to that, but over 55 workers. Yeah. Not so much, <laughs> not so much. I mean, are we to believe that some of this phenomenon is due to people that now they're not looking at that 62 to 70 age range of social security. They're saying, forget it. I'm going to figure, I'm going to figure out a way to make life work long before 
I hit that age bracket. I think we're seeing that. I think we're absolutely seeing that. Um, some of the research that they cite in this article point to what economists are calling wealth effects. Uh, simply put, people are wealthier. And when people are wealthier, they tend to work less because there's less pressure to earn. And now they value their leisure time more than they value the money that working brings in. Anecdotally, I've seen that. I've seen that in having conversations to find out about younger people and kind of what's driving them. And I hearken back to the days of my 20s, 30s, and 40s when we were, man, we were climbing hard, right? Grinding, really. It was just, it was just, it's what I did. It's what most people that I knew were doing. And, I find it rather refreshing that today's 2030s and 40-somethings are not necessarily doing that. Now, I'm making some big generalizations here uh, about my own generation and present, but as far as a generation goes, I'm, I'm rather, I'm frankly rather pleased that people are not as devoted to just going all in, pot committed to the career and the grind or the hustle and they're saying, you know, the quality of life, the quality of life matters. And we saw that we saw that during, and especially after the pandemic, we saw it when people realized, okay, we're holed up somewhere and guess what, where we're holed up, this ain't, we don't want, this isn't where we want to be. Let's rethink this. Now, would my generation have done that if we would have faced a pandemic at, at an earlier age than the age I am? Uh, maybe we'll never know because it didn't happen. Now the stock market had a spike. Uh, that S and P 500 stock index jumped more than 35% between 2019 and 2021. That fueled an awful lot of things. And then home prices, home prices rose 30% during that same time period between 2019 and 2021. And so we had this, just a boom. I mean, there's no other way to put it. You just had a boom. And for many of us, especially for older Americans, those between say 55 and 64, it, it was really a, a boom when it came to our house prices and what our, what our homes, what our houses were worth. In fact, this article claims that in that demographic, 55 to 64, on average, the gain was $121,000. The article says those people over 65, 65 to 74, they were doing even better because, because of the housing boom and because of the stock market boom, their net worth increased an average of $135,000. Uh, clearly younger people weren't going to do as well because, well, they haven't had the time to build the wealth that older folks have. And so those that were typically under 35 gained $15,000. Now, as with all booms, the problem is, and the article points out, the boom didn't last and it, it hasn't lasted. No boom ever does. And so a lot of the uh, pandemic-inspired retirements 
didn't have just everything to do with money. There clearly were some older folks who saw some people die during the pandemic, some people who perhaps had compromised health and who contracted COVID and got complications. And now you begin to start thinking about your own mortality more and more, something that older people do naturally anyway. And now pile the pandemic on top of it. And now we're thinking about families and our time. And so I think they're probably, well, I don't think it's probable. I think it's, it's actually fact that people were retiring, not just because of money. They weren't retiring because they didn't necessarily want to work. They were retiring because now even like the younger people, they were saying, you know, there's, there's something else that matters more and we're, we're good. We're good. Maybe before the pandemic, they had thought, well, here's how much we need. And maybe the pandemic caused them to reevaluate and think, you know what? I, we don't need that much. <laughs> I've heard that conversation from people as young as in their late thirties, people who thought they had some number in mind that they were chasing and They've come to decide, you know what? I, I don't, I don't think that's the number. Now the article goes on to cite some more people and give some more quotes and, and things, but it's clear that the stock market and the housing market caused an awful lot of this problem last year. And now even going into this year, uh, some of those gains that happened between 2019 and 2021, it's, yeah, the bloom is off the rose. And so there's been kind of, well, I won't call it a cessation, but there certainly has been a slowdown, a dramatic slowdown. This article points out in the number of excess retirees, excess meaning, okay, we didn't predict that. We, we didn't see that many doing it. So the peak by December of 2022, the peak of retirees, 2.4 million, but it dropped and it dropped by 550,000 according to some of their analysis. Well, guess what else fell? The stock market fell and the real estate market. Okay. It, it didn't really fall, but it didn't just continue in that crazy, insane escalation. I know this, there is an awful lot of stuff is, is just timing because if you go back to the, uh, the 0809 crash and an awful lot of people lost a boatload of money. And the more you had, the more you probably lost. And that hit to net wealth was so severe. It, it, well, just let me phrase it this way. Imagine being where I'm at. So imagine being 66 and you're just, you're, you're getting things lined up. You're, you've already, you're already on Medicare. Now you're, you're approaching your social security time and you you've got your assets and you think, okay, this, this is fine. Life's okay. We're not going to live high flying, but we'll be fine. And now all of a sudden, not your cash flow, but, but that safe money over here, 
this invested money over here that you spent all of your life working, saving and amassing. And all of a sudden now that amount is cut in half because the market has just gone belly up. You don't have time to recover. The odds are you just don't have time to recover. And yet at the same time, when you start looking at, at the stats, I mean, what is it today? 78 for a, for a male is the, am I close? I think I'm close 78, but an awful lot of people are living way past 78. So maybe you have time to recover, but you might not have time to recover. This much is true. It certainly affects your psychology because when you get to be my age, well, hello, Bill. I felt this way when I was 45. You just realize you've got way more past than you do future. And so there is that. I've just never been one to look at all these things with, I'm going to place extreme confidence in these numbers. I, I've said before, we used to stand around as peers and ask one another, what's your number? And what we meant by that is what's your ideal number that you need to achieve in order to retire. And for us, you know, retirement was 35, 40 years away. You know, what's the number? What's the number? I, I don't recall hearing anybody utter a number that was lower than $3 million. And the stupid thing is none of us were making, uh, at the time, I doubt any of us were making over $60,000, which was a good living. And we weren't spreadsheeting this. We weren't, we weren't doing any real critical analysis of all this. We were just spitballing a number and there's no question we were doing it largely based on just all the stuff we'd read. Most of which was just, it was just as big garbage then as it is now. I'm not saying that this article is garbage, but we read story after story after story that here's how much you need. And if you don't have this and you are woefully behind the eight ball, well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I think it bears repeating depends on how you want to live. Do you want to, do you want to take four, two week vacations overseas every year? Yeah, okay. Well, you're going to need more. <laughs> um, so your lifestyle's got everything to do with this. And so it's, it's, can you afford to leave work? Uh, to me, the interesting thing here is that we're seeing a wave of people young and old who feel like rightly or wrongly that they can afford to leave work or at least leave what used to define work and they can do something different and they're, they're choosing to do something different. They're not choosing to just be part of the welfare system. They're, they're just opting for different things and so, you know, why no one wants to work anymore? Okay, yes, it's clickbait. And the author of the article, I doubt, had any input on the title of the thing. They're just trying to get readers. And, and it worked. They got me. I'm finding it's not that people don't want to work anymore. They just want to work 
differently. They want to work on their own terms. They want to work uh, with their own unique situation in mind. And they don't, they just don't want to be, they don't want to be just part of the machine that they were pre pandemic with that machine being, for instance, living in a major Metro market like Dallas, Fort worth, and you drive an hour one way to commute, you drive another hour, hour and 15 to come home and that's your life. And all of a sudden pandemic hits and anybody, if we can, we, we've got to figure out a way to do this remotely. And then the pandemic ends. And for many, many, many people, okay, now we need you to come in two days a week. Now there've been some hard headed CEOs. And I say that lovingly, um, believing that productivity is butts in seats. If there's not a butt in that seat, then there's no work being done, which is just completely ludicrous. But there have been CEOs that have made decisions that this is how we're going to roll. It's everybody back in. And I haven't heard, well, I haven't heard a single success story. I'm not saying there aren't any. I just haven't heard of any. What I've heard is tremendous pushback and leaders who just can't afford to make those kinds of decisions because of the cost that it will take on their team, their organization. I mean, if, if you're in a market where you can't find people, you can't find good people, you don't want to lose the ones you've already got. <laughs> so you better not institute some policy that's narrow-minded and idiotic unless it's absolutely necessary and vital to the success of your enterprise. Yeah, you might want to tap the brakes and, and rethink that. So I think it's not just people falling out and saying, Forget it. I ain't working period. I don't understand if, if there is some big mass doing that, I don't, I don't understand how I'd like to learn that trick. <laughs> no, I really wouldn't. Cause I want to work, but I'm fascinated by that trick. If there is a trick to do that, I'd, I'd kind of like to know what it is. I'm seeing younger and older people who simply can afford to now do something different. So if job a, where I currently work, they're mandating that now I got to be back in the office five days a week. And I got an opportunity over here at job B and Oh, by the way, job B will pay me 15% more money than job a. And I can do that from anywhere I want to be. Well, you'd be an idiot to not take job B. I think, and they're taking job B. It will be interesting as time moves forward to see the companies that thrive during these pressure filled times. And this is the great thing about these kinds of times, whatever causes it, when there's this downturn, when there's crazy inflation, like there is now, when the workforce seems to be thin, 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 and there's all these challenges, success emerges for some, for the people that figure it out, for the people that are leaning toward wisdom and who are able to figure this out in real time and get it right. It is a boom. It is an opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And a decade from now, we'll know. It may be we're too close to it right now to really fully see it, 
we you might see it in some small some small ways but put 10 years on this and you're really going to be able to see it and i predict the world stands and we're all still alive that 10 years from now you will be able to look back and a company will pinpoint that in the year 2022 and 2023 that those really were the years that made their company Uh, we've just seen that we've seen it historically happen over and over again so my point really isn't so much about the pandemic about the boom or the bust about inflation or about people who want to work versus people who don't want to work i've as usual buried the lead it's optimism and opportunity the point of today's show is optimism and opportunity in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this anxiety and all of this angst and all of the bad news can we be optimistic enough to see the opportunity and to seize the opportunity the answer is yes Some of us can, not all of us, but some of us can. Here's the sad reality. We all could, but most are going to choose not to. Most are going to choose to join the lemmings, continue to consume the mass media, continue to believe everything that the news agencies pour down our throats. And we're just going to buy into it. We're going to believe what they tell us to believe. We're going to think what they tell us to think. We're going to do what they tell us we should do. We aren't going to question it. We're not going to be curious. We're not going to be remotely skeptical. We're not going to take a look at our own lives and say, you know what? That all very well may be true, but I've got control over this little part of my world. And you know what? I can work for whom I want to work for. I can live where I choose to live. I can spend my money the way I choose to spend my money. I can earn my money the way I choose to earn my money. I can invest my money where I want to invest my money. And I can spend my money where I want to spend my money. And if I don't want to, I don't have to. I can make those decisions. And I can take responsibility for my own outcome. And oh, by the way, I can sit back and I can take a hard look at all of the stuff that compiles my life and I can decide me and my family, me and my wife, me and my husband, we can sit here and we can decide what is our most ideal outcome. And we can decide what we would like to do to try to make that happen. And my argument is if we would do that and if we would do that more frequently and we would do that habitually, there's just no telling what we could achieve. It's not a kumbaya kind of a thing it's way deeper than that it's not getting up one day out of seven deciding that you're going to put a smile on your face it's making up your decision that 
you're going to get up every morning and you're going to go to bed every night with the belief that you are in control of your life to the degree that you are. And that we're going to get up in the morning and we're going to go to bed at night grateful that we live in the greatest country on the planet, those of us that live in America. Some of you folks, you live in pretty great places too. Some of you who are listening to me from across the pond, as they say, you live in some pretty spectacular places too. So really, no matter where we are on the globe, we've still got an awful lot to be thankful for. Our opportunities may be slightly different, but everybody listening to me, we're in the first world. We're in the developed countries of the world. We've got it pretty good. Can we see that? Or do we just want to walk around with our sack looking for rocks to pick up? Because there's a lot of rocks that need to be thrown. We think so. Ten years from now, you're not going to read about those people. I'll just tell you straight up, you're not going to, because we never have. And if you think you're going to be among the first that are going to be read about, because, man, look at all the great things they did. Man, they were a magnificent rock thrower. (laughs) It's not going to happen. No, it's the builders. It's the builders. It's going to be the people that created what they wanted to create, the people who had vision, the people who had tenacity and determination, and the people who had the optimism to believe that it could be done. And they got busy. They set about to do it. And by and large, they got it done. I posted some time over in the Facebook group, and if you're not a member over there, let me invite you. Just go over to Facebook. I'll actually just go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com, and you'll see a link to it. I'm a big fan of Sir Ken Robinson and the book, The Element. And he defines the element as that intersection where our natural aptitude and our passions intersect. And in that book, he wrote, for most of us, the problem isn't that we aim too high and fail. It's just the opposite. We aim too low and succeed. My name is Randy Cantrell. This is Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome. Inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.